I'm reading this morning from 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 through 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Heavenly Father, during these next few moments, God, as I pray so often, I pray that this would not simply be a common act that we are used to, but Lord, it would be, as we should see it, an opportunity as we are in your presence an opportunity to hear from you concerning the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We know that there is something special when your people come together to hear your word attended by the Holy Spirit that your son be lifted up and that you may be glorified we know there is something special that happens God I pray this morning that we would hear your word we would receive your word and we would be forever changed by you for your glory through the power of your Holy Spirit in the precious name of your son Jesus I pray amen you may be seated October 1853 to March 30th 1856 are the dates for a specific period in time a specific instance in time known as the Crimean War the Crimean War was a war fought between Russia and an alliance between Great Britain, France, Sardinia, and the Ottoman Empire. And when they came and fought together, of course, this alliance, as you know from modern history, this alliance won and, and defeated Russia. And the armies of Great Britain and the government of Great Britain learned two very important things from this war. The two things that they learned were this. One, they were an amazing fighting force. Uh, they had a tremendous uh, military. The second thing they learned is they were absolutely horrific at organization and administration of said military. Because during the Crimean War, the men were many times malnourished. In fact, they lived off of half rations for the entire war. They were given biscuits and salt meat every single day, but only a half ration of it. And then every man was given two potatoes and one onion every month. And as you can imagine, this caused a bit of a problem uh, with this fighting force. In fact, so much of a problem that in the heat of the Crimean War, there were, and by the end of it, really, there were more British soldiers sent to the hospital for scurvy 
than there were British soldiers who were sent to the hospital for wounds sustained in battle. In fact, they essentially almost defeated themselves by their inability to take care of their soldiers. When it, when it happened, you'd say, well, how did they not figure that out until it was over? Well, this is the really interesting part. They did figure it out. They figured it out when it was about halfway over, and so they sent just shy of 300 cases, tons, literally tons, of lime juice to the front. They sent this lime juice to the front because you know that vitamin C is the cure for scurvy, so they sent this to them. However, when it arrived and it landed on the beach and they put it there, the general who was in charge of putting all that stuff out said, quote, well, it's not my job to tell the soldiers it's here. If they want it, they'll figure it out, end quote. So because of this, for most of the war, they were not provided for at all. And then, when they were provided for, they didn't use it. And it was largely and completely ignored. See, as believers, we are completely and totally cared for by the Lord. And yet, we are prone to have all of this provision and all of this provided for us, and then we can struggle to understand it, or fail to truly walk in the truth of what we have been provided. If we're going to walk through this life faithfully, which is really what all of 2 Thessalonians is about, and genuinely all of what 1 Thessalonians is about, if we're going to walk through this life faithfully, then we must realize that faithful disciples are entirely dependent on His perfect provision. Faithful disciples are entirely dependent on His perfect provision provision. See, walking through this life, things can get difficult. Things can get hard. When we are in desperate need, He is the only answer for that necessity. And when things inevitably get difficult, as I said, and they will most certainly, when things inevitably get difficult, as faithful disciples, we need His peace absolutely. We need His peace absolutely. Look at what the Apostle Paul prays in the first part of verse 16 of chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. So in verse 16, he begins with the word now, and he's done that multiple times. It's, it's as, at the end of the letter, he says, now this, now this, now that He's running through the last few things he needs to say before he closes the letter. One of my children asked me this week, as they do pretty much every week, so Daddy, what are you preaching on this week? They always ask me the same question. I always respond the same way that my dad did my entire life when I said, so Daddy, what are you preaching this week? It's always the same thing. What is it? The Bible. That's what I always answer. I would like to get on a... I won't get on a soapbox to talk about how that's actually very theologically accurate. But the fact is, they said, what are you preaching on this week? I say the Bible, and they go, for real? Like, what verses? Okay, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 is what I said. One of my children, who will remain anonymous, said, well, how are you going to preach that? I mean, there's really not that much in those verses, is there? 
And I just kind of laugh. One, because there is a whole lot in those verses, as we're going to see in a moment. But also because apparently living their whole lives with me has not helped them realize that I can talk for 45 minutes on nothing. (laughs) Well, there's a whole lot in here, so get comfortable. We may be here a while. The Apostle Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself. Paul phrases this as a prayer. It's really what it is. Um, Some commentators call it a wish statement. It's a prayer. Uh, May the Lord do this. It's important because the book of 2 Thessalonians is only three chapters long, and yet the Apostle Paul prays for them four times in this one letter. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, 2, 16 and 17, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul stops and he prays for the Thessalonian believers. And when he does this, he asks specifically, may the Lord of peace himself. It's interesting that this phrase, Lord of peace, it's, it means that peace originates from him. This is the peace that comes from him. So he is the Lord of peace. It could also be phrased master or ruler of peace. He's the master of peace. Um, but what's interesting, in most, in most every English translation, it's not there. It's not in the CSB or the uh, English Standard Bible either. Uh, but it actually literally says this, because this would sound in- weird reading it in English. Now may the Lord of the peace himself give you the peace at all times. That's actually how it's read. Um, the word the is the definite article put in front of it means this, that the Apostle Paul is saying, now may the Lord of The peace, as in the Lord of the one who owns a peace that only comes from him. It's a unique peace that only comes from the Lord. So he's asking them, or asking God rather, that the Lord of peace, that Jesus himself would give them the peace. As in a special kind of peace, a peace that only comes from the unique and only Son of God. But look at what he says about it. He says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. The peace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that you and I can merit. It is not something, regardless of the fact that we're repeatedly told throughout our lives and in this culture today that anything you want you should have because you deserve it. That's just simply not true in reality. But in theology, it's also not true. You don't get the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ because you deserve it. You get the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ because He, in His gracious love, will give it to you. You do not deserve it. I do not deserve it. I lay no claim over it. It is His peace, and it's His peace to give. Why? Because it says He's the Lord of peace. So it's His peace, and Paul asks that He give it. Why? Because I'm dependent on God to give me His peace. I can't gain it myself. You can't bow your head, squeeze your eyes tight enough, grit your teeth hard enough, clench your fists tight enough in order to make God's peace come into your heart. It is a gracious gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, may the Lord of peace himself give you the peace. So it's a peace that only comes from him. But then he says something very interesting about this peace. He says that it is to come, or he wants it to come, at all times and in every way. At all times and in every way. Now it's important too. 
You know, some people read this, they say, well, you know, this is common for the Apostle Paul. It's really just a benediction because Paul always um, ends every letter with um, the Lord's peace and grace be with you, except he doesn't. He ends every letter with the Lord's grace and peace be with you, not peace and grace. See, the, the normal Hebrew way of doing it would be grace and peace. He says peace and grace. He actually emphasizes peace first, then grace. Why? Well, I could talk about, well, he knows they need this and so on and so forth. Here's the thing. While it may seem like it doesn't make sense, if you just read it alone, it makes perfect sense since having been, we've gone through 2 Thessalonians from beginning to end. What did they, what did he deal with all through chapter 1? What are they frustrated with? What are they dealing with? They're dealing with persecution that has come from the outside. They are being mistreated and mishandled and they're being taught false doctrine. So they've, they've got persecutors, they've got difficulty coming from outside the church. But then in chapter 3, as we looked at last week, they have a group of people within the church who have risen up and that have be, uh, become disorderly and they've started disrupting the church. In chapter 2, there was false teaching about the second coming of Christ. So they have got issues outside the church and issues inside the church. They are embroiled in every way. No matter where they turn, there is always something happening. And so the Apostle Paul, knowing what they need the most, he prays to God and says, Lord They've got a whole lot of issues from the outside of the church. And God, they've got a whole lot of issues on the inside of the church. Lord, I pray that the God of peace, the Lord of peace himself would give them peace because that's what they need. They need peace. They have got turmoil on every side. And he is praying that the Lord would give them peace. But what type or what kind of peace? How is it supposed to occur? He says at all times and in every way. So reference to every moment of life and every circumstance there could be. Lord, give them peace in every moment of life and in every circumstance that there could be. See, believer, the peace that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ should, should so permeate your life, it should so absorb your life That every moment and every instant of your life should be covered by and filled with the peace that is only available through Jesus Christ. In fact, this is an interesting thing. The Apostle Paul prays these things for them. I'll go ahead and let you know it's four of them. If you have your note sheet, you already knew that. There are four things that he prays for them, essentially. And in this time he's praying for them what's interesting is that all the things that the three things he prays for and the one thing that is evident from this passage all four of those things are already present they're already present did you know that if you're a believer in the lord jesus christ the peace that comes from knowing jesus christ is available to you already In fact, we're told that in everything, through prayer and supplication, we make our request known to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace of God is already available. So then why does the Apostle Paul pray that God would give it to him? If it's already available, why does he pray 
that the Lord of peace himself would give them peace at all times and in every way because the Apostle Paul recognizes something that I think you and I will recognize as well. And that is, just because the peace of God is available to you, most of us live our lives without really availing ourselves of the peace that is available to us. I mean, you look no further. Look no further than the world around us. We're bombarded. We can be bombarded by the regular ups and downs of this life to the pain of tragedy, to the constant change of the global news each day that brings new things that can keep us up at night. A steady stream of horrible things. And yet, somehow or another... This ever-changing, steady stream of things that can keep us up at night. Do you ever notice that it's ever-changing, but if you step back and look at it, it's not changing at all? It's exactly the same. You know what it looks like? It looks like this. Pew. That's you turning on the television. Pew. Right? I age myself. That's the tube going pew. Um, so you turn your television on, and then what do you hear? Everything's falling apart. Everything is terrible. This is about to happen. This is most certainly going to happen. Essentially, we're all going to die. We are without hope. No one can save us. We're alone and we have nothing. Have a wonderful night. Right? That's what it sounds like. But you know what? That's nothing new. That's nothing new at all. In fact, while there are different details and different scales of things, uh, truthfully, uh, the, real, uh, the reality is in 2 Thessalonians, the Thessalonian believers and the issues they were dealing with and the issues that we deal with today can cause the same fear, the same anxiety, the same frustration and uncertainty. And yet in all of this, believer, the one who hung the sun and the moon and the stars, the one who has made all things, the one who gives every living creature every single breath that it breathes, the one that the writer of Hebrews chapter 1 says, holds all things in existence together by the word of his power. This one hold you in the palm of his hand. This one gives you peace. This one is caring for you, providing for you, protecting you. Did you know that no matter what happens in this world, every single aspect of your life he not only knows about, he not only cares about, but he knew it was going to happen before time began. It does not take him by surprise. And not only is he not shocked, but he was already prepared for how to provide and how to protect and how to take care of you. And because of that, believer, when things go on in your life, the reason the Apostle Paul is praying about this is not because you don't already have the peace available. It's when things get bad. You don't need to be shaken. I don't need to be shaken. Because though the foundations shake, the Lord of all creation is on His throne. And I am, and you are, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, His child. And you can have 
his peace. Absolutely. But you've got to walk in it. It's not enough to just say it's there. You've got to walk in it. And that's why Paul was praying, Lord, make it real. It's as if he's saying, Lord, they've already got it, but would you make it real to them? Would you make it real? Why? Do you notice this? This is not peace like as in the absence from conflict. This is a Jewish concept, right? It means wholeness or rightness or completeness. So what the Apostle Paul is praying is not, Lord, take them out of the troubles. It's, Lord, give them the peace in the midst of the troubles. You notice he did not pray that God would remove the troubles. He just prayed that the Lord would give them peace in the midst of it. That's the answer, right? See, so many people look at the... They, they say, well, I tried that Christianity thing, but nothing really worked out for me, and my life didn't get any better. Let me tell you something. You can come to Jesus Christ, and your life, the circumstances of your life may not get better. The Apostle Paul's life was great until he became a believer. Then it got hard. The difference is not that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your life and the circumstances of your life will get better. The difference is, is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your life may not have peace, but you can have perfect peace because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need, as followers of Christ, we need His peace absolutely, but we also need His presence continually. Believer, do you realize how odd it is when you feel alone, you feel discouraged, you feel separated, and you go to the Lord and you say, Lord God, I just, I'm just so alone. The irony of the fact that you are going before the throne of the creator of the universe and saying, I'm alone. If you have someone to pray to, you are never alone. Believer, no matter how bad things get, you are never alone. Look at what he says here. The Lord be with you all. See, again, He is with us. His presence is real. His presence is promised to us in Scripture, and yet we can become so distracted by the things of this world and, and in our own lives that many times we can just ignore or forget or overlook the fact that God is always present. He is always with us. So Paul, again, prays that they would be aware, and by proxy, that we would be aware of the presence of God. And notice this too, I, I, I love this, just this little phrase, he says you all, right? The Lord be with you all. He's going to say it again in a minute. He wants us to understand that this is how God will accomplish this peace. See, how can you and I have perfect peace in the midst of the storm? It's interesting that I would go back to this. But growing up, I played in a bluegrass band. I know I grew up in Texas, but I played in a bluegrass band. My father plays the mandolin. We used to sing. We practiced at 4.30 in the afternoon on Sundays before we sang on Sunday night. So the church affectionately began calling us the 4.30 boys. That was the only reason they called us that. Um, 
But there was one song that we always sang. And it was called Master of the Sea. It was kind of our song, right? And, and the song describes the instance where Jesus is on the boat with his disciples. And the, the sea is, is, is tossing the boat to and fro. And, and it says that um, breakers dashed on every hand and angry winds around did blow. And then it says in the chorus, but when he reaches out his hand, billows cease at his command. Winds and waves obey his will when he says to them, be still. And then he says, at the end of the song it says, I'm so glad he sails with me because he's the master of the sea. In the song, the truth is this. The storm, it says it at the last verse actually, though the storms of life may rage. When we're in the midst of the storm, the storm is still there. The storm can be bad. The storm can be hard. But the truth of that song and the truth of that passage and the truth of this passage is the greatest way that you and I can have peace is not because the storm stopped. The greatest way that you, can have, you and I can have peace is knowing that no matter how bad the storm gets, the one who owns the storm, the one who is the master of the storm is in the boat with us. See, the Apostle Paul says, the Lord be with you all. The greatest peace that you and I can know is know that no matter how bad it gets, Jesus is always with us. In fact, you say, well, why is this so amazing? Well, it, it's almost as if it slipped in here without us seeing it, and, and we could almost go right over it. But did you know that the, the request for God's grace and peace or His presence to be with you, um, that, that phrase is used all throughout the Old Testament. And all throughout the Old Testament, when it is used, it is used to reference Yahweh. It's used to reference God. And so when Jesus, or when the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus, it's, he's sort of sliding it in there. The Apostle Paul saying, by the way, I need you to have this peace and I need you to have the presence of God. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And the people reading this, if there were Jews who read this, they would read this and go, wait, Paul's saying that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. That Jesus is the one who does this. So, well, why, why is that so significant? Well, the Apostle Paul is declaring what we have seen from the beginning of history. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Moses is speaking to, the, to Joshua and to the children of Israel as he's telling them his final speech before they go into the promised land. And he says this, Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So, okay, so that was in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Well, how about Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20? Jesus tells his disciples, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So Jesus promises his disciples, he promises his church, that he will be with us always, even to the end of days. What? Okay, so Jesus said it. Well, how about the writer of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, right after he got done telling us that we are to be content in all things, he says you should be content in all things because he will not leave you or forsake you. 
say, okay, I get that. So writing to the people the New Testament was written to, well, how about Revelation chapter 21, verse 3? Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. When everything is put under the feet of Christ and all things are done and every tear has been wiped away and there is no more sickness and no more pain and no more death, the writer uh, John, the revelator, in Revelation 21, 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. The promise of history, the promise from God is that if you are a child of His, He will always be with you. You are never alone. When you're at home and you're in your prayer closet, He is with you. When we are here together as God's people, He is with us. And the loneliest missionary out in the bush somewhere by themselves with not a believer, within hundreds of miles in fear of their life, guess what? God is with them just as real as He would be if He was in this room. No matter the difficulty, no matter how dark the days may be, no matter how hopeless your circumstances may seem, there has never been, nor will there ever be, a moment or an instant where you are alone. So, well, that sounds like a very simple truth. It is a very simple truth. The Apostle Paul prays that they have peace. That's a simple thing. He prays that we would understand his presence. Also a very simple thing. It's so simple to understand and yet so easy to overlook. So easy to forget in this life. Because we can live our lives thinking we do it under our own power. We can live our lives thinking we've got it handled. Believer, may God make this truth so real to you today that His peace is ever available and His presence never ends. He is always with you. Now these truths are simple. And there are many truths, seems to be, quote unquote, that are floating around today. Many things that, that we're told are true. It's interesting that we live in a culture that doesn't believe there is a such thing as absolute truth, and yet all you ever hear is people making truth claims. And, and you hear crazy things, like Well, I know what you just said is the exact opposite of what I think, but what you say must be true because it's what you believe, and what I say must be true because it's my truth. Where on earth we get the concept of truth as being relative or being able to be changed is so beyond any understanding or grasp of reality. The truth is, as faithful disciples, we need His Word exclusively. We need His Word exclusively. Look at at what He says here. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Now, I read a commentator who said, now this verse can kind of seem like a throwaway verse. I'll just throw this one out there to you. There is absolutely no such thing as a throwaway verse anywhere in Scripture. But I can tell you this, that this verse makes a whole lot more sense after us going verse by verse through 2 Thessalonians. Because what did Paul say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2? 
He's talking about something that's going on. He's talking about these false doctrines and these things that they're being taught. And he references something. He references that there is a possibility, which if he's going to reference it, that means it happened. That there's a possibility that someone sent them a letter claiming to be from Paul when it wasn't. So, so they, they were distraught. They were upset. If you remember, they were shaken. And Paul tells them, do not be quickly shaken by this. So what does Paul do? Well, in most people in the New Testament, or many people at least, um, many times they would use what's referred to as an amanuensis. So it's basically is a fancy term for secretary. The, the person would sit there with them, and Paul would say, hey, I want to write a letter, a letter to the Colossians. Okay, so he would take out his pen and his paper, and he would begin, he would get ready, and the apostle would say, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing, Paul's dictating to him as he's writing down this letter. So that's what they did most often. But in this verse right here, it says, Paul says, Now look, I write this greeting with my own hand. He's letting them know that this came directly from him. Now, I will tell you, again, I, I read multiple um, commentaries on this. And there are all kinds of theories. It could be, they, well, it could be that the Apostle Paul, when he was with them for a short time, he wrote some things. And they had, the, they had a way of taking those things and matching up his handwriting from that and, and this letter. Could be that. Said, or it could be that the Apostle Paul signed most of his letters this way and they were able to take it and match it again so they could tell. It could be that the Apostle Paul is writing this saying, I'm signing it this way and from now on you'll know that anything that comes from me will have this on it. Or it could be, or it could be, or it could be. The fact is, the reason everybody says it could be is simple. They don't know. The only reason they write five pages on why it could be is because their publisher said that their commentary needed to be 200 pages long and not 195. The fact is, it could be any number of those things. It doesn't matter what it was. The simple truth is, they were distraught and upset because they had no way of knowing if something came from Paul or not. So Paul signed this letter with his own hand to tell them, hey, now you'll know for certain that this is from me. Paul's concern, and our only concern is this, is Paul is telling them that there is a way to know that it's valid. There's a way to know that it's true. He was signing this letter personally to battle false teaching. He was signing this letter to battle false teaching. And it rages even today. He didn't know that. False teaching and false theology rages even today. The only way we can battle false teaching is with the truth of God's Word. It's the only way. God's Word is both the ruler by which we measure all doctrine and theology, and it is the weapon to be used to destroy everything false. Every moral, ethical, cultural, theological issue should be measured against the Word of God and not human opinion. It's so common to hear things that people saying they have their own truth or whatever else. Um, you know, it's, it's very prevalent that people will give their opinions. 
let me be very clear. When someone gives their opinion, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? You will not make it through this life living on people's opinions. When the days are darkest and when the nights are the coldest, someone's opinion is not going to make it, make you make it through to the other side. Truth is the only thing that will make you and I and give you and I the ability to make it through. Truth is the only thing. In fact, what you and I think and what other people think takes a back seat to the eternal, unchangeable Word of God. In fact, I will tell you this, that when someone says, we should do this because I think, or we shouldn't do this because I don't like or I think, we should stop immediately. Because the only time we should do something is when we can say, we should do this because the Bible says. We shouldn't do this because the Bible says. You know, it's common today for people to say, well, you know, I listen to this person or I listen to that person or whatever else. And I mean, goodness, I mean, they're, they're so well-spoken and, and they're so nice and, and everything else. I mean, I know that that one thing they said isn't exactly biblical, but I mean, they're so nice. Can I tell you something? Not one false teacher in history stands up and begins their speech or their talk with, by the way, as I introduce this, I would like to let you know that I am a false teacher. Now, to begin... No one starts that way. Why? Because you wouldn't believe them if they started that way. And you know, in fact, the Scripture does not say, beware of false teachers because you'll notice them immediately. It says, beware of false teachers because they come in as wolves in sheep's clothing. It means that those who teach false doctrine don't look like they're teaching false doctrine. In fact, they look like somebody who would teach right doctrine. You say, well, goodness, that means we could be deceived. How do we keep from being deceived? This is the only measure by which you and I measure truth. I don't measure truth by how many campuses somebody has, and I don't care how many campuses somebody has, or how many conferences they have, or how many books they've written, or how long their dad was the pastor of First Baptist. I don't care any of those things. What I'm telling you is this. There is never a day where a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot stand on one authority and one authority only. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the apostles always began, or the, and the prophets began, with thus says the Lord God. And I I want to tell you something, believer. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there has never been nor will there ever be another stance you and I can take other than the Bible says. That's it. And if any preacher, as one said just a few weeks ago, if any preacher ever says that we have got to move beyond where we use the Bible as the authority for what we believe, you need to stop listening to that preacher and tell everybody else to stop listening to him too. The day I stop pointing you to the Scriptures is the day you give me my resignation. We have to have the Word of God exclusively. The Apostle Paul says, look, I want you to know the difference between right and wrong, so I'm going to sign this myself. As a faithful disciple, we need the Word of God exclusively. And to live this life 
through all the difficulties and the hardships, and, and, and even when it finds your own doorstep, when it seems like you're never going to make it through, or when the, the, the pain is intolerable and the grief is unbearable, when the hard days just keep on coming and they feel like they're never going to end, moment by moment, instance by instance, as faithful disciples, we need His grace perpetually. We need it always. Look at what he says in verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace. Again, this time it translates it in in the English Bible. The grace. The grace. It only comes from him. It's not something that anybody can contrive. It's not something that you earned or that I earned. It is only something that comes from him. Only something able to be given by him. And then he says something interesting that, again, we could just gloss over. But remember what we looked at last week. Do you remember at the end of it, he's talking to those who were disorderly? Those who were causing unrest and and unruliness in the church. They were disrupting things. And the Apostle Paul tells them to essentially rebuke them, but but not rebuke them as a brother. So he's, he's talking not about lost people acting wrong. He's talking about saved people acting incorrectly in the church. Why is that so important? Look what he says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Including the unruly ones. Including the disruptive ones. Including the ones causing problems. Grace. He wanted them to understand the depth of God's grace. That's what you and I have to understand this morning. When you live this life, your work, your neighbors, the person you live across the street from, the person you sit across the dinner table from, The amount of money in your 401k, your Roth IRA, your checking, your savings, whatever it may be. um, the, The home you have, the people in your life, the car you drive. Every single thing you have is solely yours because of the grace of God. You did not earn it. You say, I earned it. No, you didn't. God gave that to you. You say, well, I got up and worked. Who got you up? Well, I mean, I got me. Well, who gave you the breath in your lungs? God did it. God did it all. And the Apostle Paul wants them to understand that ultimately you and I have to understand that every single thing we have in this life is solely because of the grace of God. Every single thing. See, believer, the truth is, is this final prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the Thessalonians is a prayer that can be prayed for each one of us. The desire is that this would be so in our lives, where we are a people who walk in faith, not fear. So easy today to walk in fear and all the things going on around us in this world. But it will only happen if we walk in His perfect peace. It will only happen if we know that He is completely in control. And we rest in His presence, knowing we're never alone. It will only happen if we rest on His precious and unchanging 
word. And it will only happen if we walk in His amazing grace that He has overwhelmingly lavished upon us. Believer, you want to know the secret to how to, hit, how to live this life? He has given you His peace, but pray that He make it apparent to you. He has given you His presence. Pray that He make it real to you. He has given you His Word. Pray that you might understand it more. And He has showered you with His grace. Pray that you understand everything you have in this life comes from Him. And you have nothing beside Him. And that, believer, is how you live this life. Where the world may change, as the writer says, even if the foundations are shaken, you can rest firmly in His peace, in His presence, on His word, and in His grace. You could be here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're struggling because you don't, you don't have peace in your life. He offers you peace this morning. And it's not just any kind of peace. It's the peace that only comes from Him. You may be here this morning and you feel alone. You feel left alone to your own devices. He offers you His presence through the ministry of your, His Holy Spirit. He offers you His presence. You don't have direction in your life. You don't know where to look and, and where to turn to. He offers you His Word. And then ultimately... You have failed. You have made massive mistakes. You have sinned in your life. He offers His grace. You may say, well, you don't know what I've said or you don't know what I've done. That's absolutely true. But I do know one thing. I know that it doesn't matter. He offers you His grace this morning. But here's the thing. He offers you His peace. He offers you His presence he offers you His Word, and He offers you His grace. It's out there, but you have to take it. You have to receive it. And you could do that. Even right in this moment, you can say, Lord God, I want that. I want what I can't get for myself. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. You can do that when I pray in just a moment. You can come forward and talk to me. Whatever it is you need to do, but you can do that now. And you can have peace that passes all understanding, the presence that never changes, the word that is eternal, and the grace that is immeasurable. It can be yours this morning in Jesus.